Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. The idea was, when interest rates were going up, one of the ideas was that we are going to suppress housing prices. Things are going to be easier for people to get into the market. We've also had the stress test, as you know, where you have to have a higher level of down payment in order to make sure that you can support whatever mortgage you take. That was also supposed to b- maybe bring prices down a bit. Lots of different things. And, and for a minute or two, it seemed to be having some kind of effect. However, however, there are, while there are a number of homes in Hamilton that are selling under their asking price, there are a lot all of a sudden that are getting bidding wars going and are selling for above the asking price. In April, according to the spec, 233 homes in this city sold above their listed price. Uh, that from the Realtors Association of Hamilton Burlington. Let me bring you in a name that uh, everybody around here knows. If you don't know him or don't hear him on the radio or don't see his signs, well, you'll you'll see a big billboard somewhere. His name is Rob Golfie. He's the guy with the arms out, although we won't talk about that one today. Uh, Rob, how are you today? Good, thanks, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent, although I... I am, I'm fortunate, and I know that, that I've already been into the real estate market for a while. I don't have to try and find my way in, but I got to think that if you're someone who's looking for a home, maybe you were hoping that the inflated interest rates were going to suppress things a little longer. This sounds like we're getting right back to where we were. We are. The market is doing very well, and I knew it would pick up in February, to, actually. And I, and I know we hit rock bottom in December of uh, last year, and then things just started climbing up. And like in Hamilton, for instance, in December, the average sale price was 694000 Now in a- April, we're at 789 But as we speak today, now the month's not over yet, the average sale price in Hamilton is almost sorry, $810,000. It's climbing. Interest rates are what they are normal. You know, you got the five-year insured rate at 4945 and five-year conventional is is 5.14. And uh, consumer confidence is back, and uh, and people are looking for houses. Does that mean that if you are somebody who is trying to get in, that you have missed your window, that you're just going to have to bite the bullet and go for whatever? You're not missing the window. I'm going to tell you something. Anything you buy today is going to be worth double in 10 years. So it's never too late to buy. But but one thing I'm going to tell you, in 2026 and 2027, we are going to have a, such a huge spike, and then we're going to have an adjustment just like we did in 2022. So get into buying real estate, and you will do well. At the same time, if you're selling real estate right now, the people that are, are selling the houses at over-asking, they're pricing their house right on the nose what the property values are. If you overprice, you're chasing the market down, and then you're not going to get that, that great price. And then people are just going to put low ball offers. So price your house right. You will do better than full price asking. Oh, what about the, okay, for a while there, and I don't know, I mean, things change so fast these days and for the last number of years that things keep flipping around. But there was a window there where the thing to do was to really underprice your house because then it'll bring people in because they'll look at it and then you'll get into a bidding war and you'll end up with way more than you would have ever asked for in the beginning. Is that still an effective strategy? It is still effective, but what's happening now is that you're not getting the one, 100, 200, 3,000 over asking. So what, what you're doing, let's say if there's a house that, that the actual value of the house is 800,000. Price it at 
uh, 800 or price it at 750, you will probably do better than that. At 750, you'll probably get 850. At 800, you'll probably get 825, 850. That's what you're going to get. But if you price it at 900 and then you've got to drop it down to 800, you're probably going to get 780 for it. So you, pricing your house is so important, especially no matter what the market is. And right now, there's such a shortage of homes out there, and the shortage of homes are going to be out there for the next 10 years because we've got 1.5 million immigrants coming into this country. We already had a half a million come in in the past year, and we've got m- millions more coming in. There is going to be a shortage of rental properties, shortage of properties, and that's what's going to drive the prices up. You talked about pricing your house, and, and it's, it's interesting because the, the piece in the spec that, that got me talking about this, about you know the number of homes that are now going for over asking, also points to the fact that there are a bunch that have not sold, that the, that sales are actually, uh, the, the number that are selling for below asking is still bigger than it was a few years ago. But I got to wonder if part of that is what you just said, that people saw what the market was a year or two ago and can't wrap their head around the idea that I missed that window, I'm not going to get that, but I'm darn well going to try. They, absolutely. We've got a lot of those out there. Their neighbor got, you know, uh, like let's say $1.2 million for their house, but their house is only worth 900000 and they want that one point two. They just have a hard time uh, gripping the, uh, 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 the idea of getting that nine hundred. That market's gone right now. That market is gone. They have to accept it. And those are the houses that are not selling. Those are the houses that are just, like, you know, going off the market, expiring, canceling. Those are the ones that are, you know, wishing that they sold back then. But right now, this is the new market. The market's doing well. And the buyers are the smartest ones out there. They're the ones with the money. They know more than the realtor does. They know more than the seller does because they're the ones that are shopping. Let me ask you a crazy question. Um, does anybody actually buy a house for the amount that it's asked for? Does anyone actually buy a house for the asked price? Absolutely, yeah. Some, uh, they do. They just if, if a house comes up for sale right away, even if it's a coming soon, they'll come in and write a, they'll, they'll come in with an offer at the asking price just because... The buyers, they're the ones that are shopping, and they've been looking and looking and looking, and, and there's low inventory right now. The inventory is so low that when something comes up exactly what they're looking for, they will pay for it. But the reason I ask that question is you, you, you make some sense there, but if I own a house and I put it up for asking price and it's coming soon or whatever, and someone walks in with a check for the asking price, to me, that's an indication that there's desire for this house, and it's way better for me to hold on because someone's going to come in higher. Absolutely. You're right. Because if one buyer loves it, that means there's 10 others following him right behind. You would think. I, yeah, I just, it, it seems, it seems, I don't know, it seems odd to me, I guess, that it, it almost seems like we don't have anybody getting the asking price. They're either getting less or they're getting way more. It just, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's either one extreme or the other. It does other. seem like That's that. It does happening. seem like that. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. Uh, is this, uh, are we expecting though, this is going to continue all summer or because we do have all these constant rumblings of a recession coming up. Does that affect the housing market? You know what? Even if there's a recession coming, it's, it's the market will still float around and go around pretty, pretty good. It, It may, it may slow it down and less houses are selling, but people need a roof over their head and people move for all different reasons. People are moving because they're retiring and they're going into a retirement home or an old age home. People are divorcing. People are relocating because of jobs. 
There's all different reasons why people need to move. During when they sh- did the shutdown in March of 2020, people still needed to buy a house. There was a, a whole bunch of people that sold their house. They needed to buy. We were still showing houses right right at the beginning of the pandemic when it hit. Remember when everything was shut down? They weren't even allowing people to drive around. We were part of that uh, uh, group of people that were able to to drive around, show houses, and, and find a home for these people because they were going to be homeless in, in a month or two. So, yeah, absolutely, uh, things are moving along, and, and uh, it's, it's, it's the way the market is. That is Rob Golfi. Uh, you can find him almost anywhere you look in this city, it seems. His, uh, his, his face is there. Uh, Rob, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, Scott. Have a great night. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. My next guest has a, um, has a listing in Los Angeles right now uh, on North Saltaire Avenue, which you may not have ever heard of that. And you'd say, well, why do I mention that? Well, that one's just, as I understand it, a few homes down from the Golden Girls house, like the house they use, the exterior for the Golden Girls. But that's not even what we're talking about because his other listing that's getting him all kinds of attention, which also has some TV and Hollywood connections, is he is the listing agent for the Brady Bunch house that is now up for sale for five and a half million bucks. His name is Danny Brown. He joins us now. Danny, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I am fantastic. That that one on Saltaire is next is right near the the Golden Girls house, right? It actually is. It's a block away. It's actually the Fleetwood Mac estate. Really? So they recorded a lot of the uh, the music in the recording studio, which is in a basement media room setting. Wow! Wow! But yes, that is not the house I think you're calling about. No, it is not. But I'm I'm I. It's fascinating, nonetheless. So how does I mean? Okay, obviously you have connections. Obviously you're someone that people turn to with estates like this, but how in the world do you get hooked up to be the listing agent for the Brady Bunch house, which might be other than maybe the White House, one of the most iconic homes in the States? How does that even happen? That is a great question. I think it was my singing the theme song <laughs> to the head of the studio and hitting all the the right notes. Uh, you know, I had a relationship with the head of the studio and one of the real estate attorneys that represented the studio. So when they went to acquire the property five years ago, I represented them and oh. it was a complete chaotic bidding war that you know Lance Bass was upset about because he was he thought he had it and we ended up snatching it from the hands of victory right from right from Lance and to right to Warner Brothers HGTV. <laughs> so okay, so they know you then, so they come back to you with this one. It's a completely different. I, well, okay, it was a big deal when we all remember when that bidding war happened, but that was just right. the exterior. This is a completely different thing that you're now selling because HGTV has essentially turned the inside into as close to an exact replica of the TV show as possible. That That's vastly different. Yeah, it's completely different. The original house was just a teardown, basically. If it wasn't known to be the Brady Bunch house, which basically was just the exterior elevation, their show used just the exterior shot and the in- intro credits of the show. So when HGTV bought it, they partnered with the property brothers, Jonathan and Drew, as well as an all-star cast of eight HGTV designers. And they rebuilt the house and made it two and a half times the size and inch by inch, frame by frame, they studied the show and matched what the house should look like. And so when you show up in this house, it it looks like what the real Brady Bunch house is, even though there's no such thing, because it was a studio lot at Paramount. It, when it, does the purchase, does the sale come with all the st- all the furnishings and everything else? 
It sure does. So you get the horse too and everything else. <laughs> Alice's cookie recipe comes with it. A little note from uh, Marsha to Davy Jones. You get all of it. Really? Okay. So we're, we're, I don't know. I, I, I can't tell from your uh, from your photo. Are you of the era that the Brady Bunch was part of your life? Uh, it was part of my life. I've watched reruns at different stages of childhood through teenage years. And I've always been a fan. I've seen every episode. I wouldn't define myself as a fanatic. I'm not outside singing uh, the theme song, which is happening. Yesterday, there was a group singing the theme song. That happens quite a bit outside of the sidewalk. I have no doubt, but I was just wondering. So I, I don't know if prior to getting this listing again, you, you obviously would have been in the house when you got the listing back before it was redone. Don't know yeah. if you'd been in since it had been all redone again, but when you walk in and see it as a fan, does yeah. it feel like you're in the Brady Bunch? Oh, you feel like you are living in an episode of the Brady Bunch. It's a visceral experience. It's just a phenomenal situation. And I'm able to relive that first impression every time I bring someone into the home. It, people have the same reaction. It's just uncanny and it's incredible. And every little detail, every little color, molding, accessory, it, it's right out of the show. And it just blows you away when you're in there. So who is coming into the home? Because I got to believe you're getting not just people who have five and a half million bucks to maybe buy a house, but I got to believe you're getting all kinds of calls from people saying, can I look? So we're getting a little everything. I mean, most of the people are serious buyers. We're not letting people in that are your typical looky-loos. We're qualifying, making sure people send us proof of funds. My team is filtering that out. They're searching Google if we don't know who they are. Most people... We know who they are. They're either high profile, either entertainers, celebrity types or business people or investors. And that's who most likely the buyer will be an investor or a collector. It's not going to be a family that wants to live like they're in the 70s and be like the Brady's. <laughs> like the, like the, the, the Brady Bunch movie they did afterwards where they lived in I the mean, 70s. Maybe they but... will. Maybe someone's going to have a, you know, some sort of flashback you know, well, bad trip situation and wants to live there. I don't know. But what can be done with it? Because, I mean, I've, I've been by there a few years ago. My wife and I and some friends were in California. And we drove by and took pictures. They had the fences up. It was while the reconstruction was being done. So that was the, you? Well, yeah, that, well, I, I'm sure there was more than me. I mean, it's, yes. uh, there were people, I know there were security guards who were saying everybody's been by here all the time. Yes. But, um, I, I just wonder, like, what it, it is in a regular neighborhood. It's not on a set. It's not yeah, on a lot. Exactly. So what can you do with the house? You can live in it. Yes. <laughs> you but can could rent you, it. But you really, could. all we can say is, look, we're able to sell you the house. We cannot sell you the intellectual rights, the property rights, any of the IP. So in terms of what you can do with it, you got to really dig deep with the city of L.A. because there's so many nuances and gray areas. Everybody wants to Airbnb this thing. That's what I wondered make a killing but you know you know short-term rentals in the city of los angeles have a nefarious track record with been a lot of incidents and issues and technically a lot of that stuff isn't even legal unless you live in the house part-time and there's all sorts of different uh, nuances so we're just selling the house and what someone does with it they want to look they want to get approvals from the city to turn it into a museum or turn into an Airbnb, that's up for them to figure out whether the city will sign off on that or not. Well, We're not involved with that part of it. And 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 here's guessing that if you do that, the horse is gone the first night. <laughs> Someone, every, everybody's going to be taking something out of that house. If yeah, they're staying you better there. chain down that horse, lock it down. <laughs> What what has been going on with it though? I mean, the 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 uh, HGTV did the renovation 
three years ago. Am I about right uh, in there? It, well, the, we acquired it in 2018, and then they did like six months of planning and then another six months or plus of building. So they had an all-star cast, the Property Brothers and some other designers rebuild the whole thing, and they did a show around it. Yep, they they yep. did the very Brady renovation and was a big rating success. They had the cast involved. So they did that. They've done other shows, some cooking shows and some other you know, offshoot shows. They've done a lot of events. They've done a lot of executive tours mm. and uh, just got to the point where we're like, hey, it's just an asset. We want to get off our books. We're not doing anything with it anymore. So Danny, it's time to sell. But has it been, so it's basically been largely sitting empty and just waiting for something to happen with it. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, they're doing tours and, you know, executive events and things like that, but no one's living in it and it, there's no show that's being, there's that's in production at the moment. What would be, uh, so as a, as a guy in a Los Angeles real estate agent, you were just talking about the house that was the, the Fleetwood Mac home. Clearly, you you know this area, and I don't just mean geographically, this this market of, of celebrity homes and things. What sure. would be a bigger or in the same category of home as this one that you could ever get as a listing agent? What, what, what would be in this category? So I'm told the White House is the yeah. only property that's more photographed than this. So I don't think if I can get the listing to the White House, great. But I don't think I'm, I'm going to be able to do that. Uh, you know, look, we get high lit, high A-list celebrity type and, you know, big business mogul types all the time. I have Eva Longoria's house on the market uh, on Deep Canyon in Beverly Hills for 20. Uh, it's the Fleetwood Mac house on Saltaire. So we have those sort of homes all the time. Uh but they don't get the kind of attention that you get for the Brady Bunch house. I don't know that there's another house that would get this kind of attention. And I and and the one thing I wonder about it, and again, you're probably right. It, it seems unlikely a family is going to buy it just to live in there and have a '70s flashback thing. But I don't. I mean, you are buying a place knowing that from now until eternity, all day long, every single day, people are going to stop and take pictures at your house. That comes with it. Absolutely, no doubt about it. You got to be prepared that this house, you know, always has a place in the public's eye, and you cannot keep people from taking pictures on the sidewalk or the street. That's public property. So, yeah, you got to be used to it. Right now, we have 24 hour surveillance, 24 hour security patrol. Uh, the next owner may do the same thing. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I, again, I, I understand that the previous owner had, and with some other places too, you know, they put up a fence or whatever else because they get tired of it. I think if you're buying this place, you're buying it, I would assume, understanding what you're doing and what you're getting and what it means to people. For sure. You know you're going in with your eyes open and we're telling every buyer we're vetting, you know, to buyer beware. These are all the things you need to be aware of and you need to know that this is a high profile, high traffic house. It's going to get a lot of attention. You've got to build in the cost of uh, surveillance and probably security. And depending on what sort of real estate play you're going to make, that's all part of the equation. you got to be prepared for that. Okay, so before I let you go, you mentioned right off the top that there was a group who stood outside and sang the Brady Bunch theme song <laughs> within today or within the last few days. What are some of the other yes. things that you've seen? Because people, still, it, it's I constant, still. right? It's constant. It is constant. And, you know, five years ago when they first bought the house and people were telling me that that happened, I didn't know that existed. I've lived in L.A. my entire life and I never <laughs> went to see the Brady Bunch house, nor did I know that anyone went to see. But it's a huge tourist attraction. And if you sit there for an hour, you're going to see a car or two pop up. And basically, everyone takes pictures and poses, and that's usually it. Once in a while, you get someone really fired up and they're singing. Yesterday, it was two girls, teenage girls 
singing the theme song and we were in the house showing it and the buyers who are quite high profile i can't disclose uh extremely wealthy they went out after the tour and joined the choir really it was like six people singing the theme song i'm like that doesn't happen at most listings i have it is uh and i'm sure anyone come up and knock on the door and ask just off the street and ask for a tour ask to look around all the time and that's why there's security there and the security's pushing people away and as much as I'd love to open the doors and let it be a public tour, it's just too much chaos, too much crowd control and the owners, the studio didn't want that. We're really trying to be respectful of the neighbors because the neighbors have to deal with this ultimately. So if we opened it up and did an open house or open tours, there would be so there'd be hundreds of cars. And oh, hundreds of no kidding. So we're, yeah, we're trying it, to do the best we can for the neighbors. It would look like the final scene in Field of Dreams with the uh, with the headlights from uh, all the way up the road through the thing. I'll tell you one of the things about this house. The you mentioned we got to go. The the last uh, that HGTV show that they did when they returned it to its former glory. Now I don't know if this is going to be anything that resonates with you, but when they did the big unveil and all the Brady kids came back and everything else. I'm realizing how big a deal this was when I'm looking in the crowd of people standing on the street, just the average Joes who are all standing there applauding. And one of them, and I can't even remember his name for the life of me, one of my favorite movies, Slapshot from way back in the day with Paul Newman, Killer Carlson. This guy who was what is standing on the street as Joe Public. Killer Carlson was in the house. He was he on was the street there. just applauding with the Brady kids. And I'm like, okay, you're, you're this is, I don't even understand what I'm getting at here. But it was like, okay, everybody is into the Brady house, apparently. Um, yeah, it's a scene. And I remember discussing with Warner Brothers up front. I'm like, if we open this up to the public, it's going to be like Coachella on Dilling Street. <laughs> and the neighbors are going to say, no bueno, it's not good. Too much chaos. So we decided to go the most discreet route we can. It's not very discreet. Uh, it has not been very discreet. Uh, you failed on that measure, but you've done a great job on getting attention anyone, for it. No, no, no. Danny Brown. Uh, go look him up, by the way. His website is dannybrownla.com. Uh, you can see the uh, the Fleetwood Mac house. I'm sure I haven't even found the Brady Bunch house on here. I'm sure it's there. But, uh, uh, Danny, listen, really appreciate you taking a few minutes. Thanks for having a little fun with us today. Awesome. All right, guys. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. My next guest, we were going to talk about, and we may get to this still, we were going to talk about the Alberta election a little bit and what that means and the whole federal scene, because I think it does mean something. And... A lot of other stuff. Um, and then late today, well, other things happened. I want to bring in Kate Harrison. She's with Summer Strategies. We always love having Kate on the show. Kate, how are you tonight? I'm good. How are you, Scott? I am great. Uh, I, I'm, as I say, I'm getting ready to do the show and talk to you. And then all of a sudden I hear this thing about Aaron O'Toole and China targeting Aaron O'Toole when he was leader of the opposition running for prime minister, basically in the last election at what point do we run out of people who have been targeted here? Well, you'll notice a common thread, of course, which is that this is a lot of conservative members of parliament that are being targeted for interference, or at least conservatives are speaking up to say um, that they've been subject to these um, to, to, to interference, at least in some way. Um, and it, it is an important moment kind of in this arc, if you will, Scott, of the foreign interference story, because Aaron O'Toole was the first one to say that he was concerned about foreign interference uh, from China during the last election. There were a number of writings uh, where he and the Conservative Party felt that 
there was some type of interference happening, not necessarily to the degree that the outcome would have changed. Uh, but now we hear from him that in addition to Michael Chong, he too was targeted with this interference. Um, I don't know how the government can, you know, sit there with this information ostensibly in hand uh, and say that it's in Canadians' best interest not to have a public inquiry when it, there's more than one elected official that's being targeted by a foreign state um, trying to influence the outcome of these elections. I, it, it really boggles the mind and hard not to assume that if this were happening to their own MPs, the reaction may have been different. Well, one of the things that struck me right away, Kate, is um, we just had this report from David Johnson that was supposed to be a really you know, deep dive and exhaustive look at this. And we're not talking about just any MP here or any politician. This was the person running against the prime minister to be leader, to be the prime minister of this country. And best I can tell, there is not one mention of this in David Johnson's report, which I think really should raise questions about how deeply he really did dive into this. This would be one that you would think would be a key part of this. And if CSIS is telling Aaron O'Toole, and if David Johnson is talking to CSIS and looking into this, surely Aaron O'Toole's name would have come up. Well, and how can there be not enough information uh, or the information is so important to keep withheld from Canadians that Aaron O'Toole's name, you know, doesn't come up. But David Johnston does have the information available to seemingly exonerate Liberal MP Han Dong from any kind of allegation of interference. So there's enough information that can be disclosed to say that Liberal MPs have nothing to do with this, but not enough to flag that the leader of the opposition, somebody who came very close to becoming Prime Minister, was the target of interference. And it's a head-scratcher. It's a total head-scratcher. It is. And again, I'm not trying to undermine or belittle or minimize if you're a backbencher and this happened to you, but this was the person who would have been prime minister. This was, uh, and, and arguably, I mean, I don't know that anyone really thought Jagmeet Singh was ever going to win. So arguably one of the two most important politicians in the country during the last election. And... Well, and- I think importantly, too, a very vocal critic of the the CCP in China. And that's the key here, right? Aaron O'Toole um, took this issue on well before, you know, we certainly weren't talking about foreign interference in 2021 uh, in the way that we are now. But he saw a lot of issues with the CCP. There was, of course, the demonstrations in Hong Kong in that time. Um, the slave labor issues as well. And so he was drawing a lot of attention to that in the House of Commons, and clearly that made him a target. Uh, And the price that he paid was some type of interference in his electoral prospects, either through his candidates or on himself, um, for for speaking speaking up. And so, again, it's now up to this government, the Trudeau government, how they want to handle this. And I I just don't think that... (laughs) In the absence of a public inquiry, we're going to continue to have all of these uh, slow leak of stories coming out bit by bit. Um, And that really, in my view, it does something worse for faith and trust in institutions than having a public inquiry, which might help get to some of this. Probably not all of it, but some of it more than what we have now. I'd be very fascinated. You know what? This just popped into my head as you were saying this. And so I, I don't have it at my fingertips, but I'm sure we could look it up and find it. I would be willing to bet there was one or two liberal MPs 
who at some point along the way either said something or tweeted something when Donald Trump was running in the States and there were the stories about Russian involvement in his election. I bet you we could find some comments that would suggest that this was outrageous, that a foreign country was having an impact on someone's election. I bet we could. Well, yeah, I, I, you're probably right. And I, I think about if this were to happen in the U.S., um, you know, sitting leaders of parties um, being interfered with by foreign governments. And this would be national, major national news. There would be uh, I assume congressional hearings and and whatnot to look into the matter, and we seem to be content with a special rapporteur's report um, and and the prime minister's blind trust in that propped up by the NDP. Who, by the way, their excuse now for not uh, pulling down the government on this matter is that uh, we need to wait until faith in institutions is restored before having an election. So somehow seeming to suggest that we can't possibly have an election. Um, we, we need the government who has brought these historic lows to trust in institutions in order to repair that same trust. It's really um, a it, lot of hooey. It's, uh, it's, tortu- it's tortured logic is what it is. It's really tortured logic. I mean, it, the idea that somehow you're right, the idea that we can't have an election now because there might be too much foreign interference, right. even though the foreign interference isn't being done. It, it, like it, it, It's almost difficult to imagine who the party people were sitting around going, okay, how are we going to not call him on this? What, what's the yeah. explanation? And someone said, uh, you know, after their fourth drink, fourth glass of wine, well, I got a good one. Uh, let's <laughs> well, say we it's can't. certainly no one interested in governing, I think. It, and that's, that's really what's been clear in the NDP's approach to this whole issue, Scott. They are not actually interested in being government. They are interested in holding on to the sliver of power that they have, um, but they don't really have any designs on the top job because they can't look at this um, and respond in that way and think that that is going to give Canadians the faith and confidence that they are the ones to lead this country. This is about buying time um, for for the NDP and not about actually wanting to govern Canadians. The whole thing, Kate, and this is what's so frustrating about this, the whole thing has become such a mess. It's become such a mess and it's become, I think what it's done right now is that it's almost inevitable when it drips out again and again and again, what's become inevitable is that whoever wins the next election, there is going to be suspicion that it wasn't on the up and up. Yeah. We're, we're creating doubt. And again, I don't care if Polyev wins, someone's going to say some foreign entity helped him. And if Trudeau wins, it's going to be that China helped him again. We are, our government is spreading doubt into the process that it's supposed to be cleaning up. Yeah. And we already have a major issue and challenge with voter apathy and voter turnout, trying to get people to take an interest in elections. Um, If this thing is close, then of course, that's something that, you know, all Every party is going to have to answer for it doesn't help when the government of the day um, has evidence for two of the previous elections having been interfered with and not taking meaningful, concrete steps to address it moving forward. Um, You can understand why a lot of voters would be suspicious and not want to engage with that process, which is bad for democracy. Have you been surprised that when, uh, and I haven't heard it yet, it may still happen, but when Aaron O'Toole says that the that CISA said that there was voter suppression tactics going on. I think that was the term he used. That I haven't heard anyone yet say the last election was um, 
Ill- illegal or not credible compromised, or uh, compromised. Right. Uh, they've they've essentially said, well, we're going to carry on. I- I'm surprised that no one yet has said it, it was a flawed election that we need to revisit. Maybe there's nothing we can do anyway, so why bother? But I don't know. Well, I think I think what it, what is most likely is that these tactics were centralized and targeted to key ridings, and and the Conservatives have noted that in areas with large uh, Chinese Canadian populations, um, they did see a dramatic turn um, in their support during the campaign. Uh, I believe the former campaign director spoke about this at a parliamentary committee. He noted that there were a number of WeChat messages, etc., all designed to create, I would say, a culture against voting for the Conservatives in some of these key ridings. Um, But part of this, Scott, too, we're talking about you know, potential suppression at election time. I think the important thing, too, is that this happens all the time, um, not just during an election. Um, And you will have uh, interference in party nomination processes. Um, You can have huge blocks of people donate to candidates and campaigns, and so you're creating a sense of obligation there. So, um, you know, I know we're really focused on the, the potential interference that happened during the campaign, Um, But there are other ways that foreign actors can influence our elections, and that can be even at a nomination level. Uh, You don't necessarily have to be a citizen to participate in nominations of certain parties, for example. So there's a huge systemic issue here that needs to be corrected. And we can only, again, get to the root of all of this with the public inquiry, which the government has so far refused. One of the things that has been said by a few people in the last couple of days, uh, and I hadn't really even thought about this either, but that maybe because things are really difficult right now for the Liberals, that the possibility of proroguing Parliament might be in play. Is there any political way that the government, when it's facing this kind of scandal, could successfully pull off essentially calling an end to this sitting of Parliament without it making things 100 times worse? Um, They could. I I think we're so close to the end of the session that the likelihood of them doing that, I I think it's a pretty small window. Uh, What I think is more likely will be the conclusion of this session. You know, they passed the budget bill. That's the big thing they have to get done. And then I think we might see a cabinet shuffle, um, including some big faces and names moving around, you know, shuffling the deck a little bit to give Canadians a different look at folks. Uh, and then maybe they would do a short prorogue, like a one day kind of thing before they return in order to f- facilitate a throne speech. I think that's a possibility in terms of resetting the agenda as opposed to calling it quits for potentially months on end. What about David Johnson? I mean, this this is a guy <laughs> who uh, I, I almost feel badly for because he was so well regarded by almost everybody in this country. Yeah. And I, I think he is still very well regarded to a lot of people, but an awful lot of people now look at him almost like a punchline. And people yeah. are now saying, you know what, it's time, if, if, he, if you're smart, Mr. Johnson, this would be the time to sort of make your exit and say, I've done my duty, I'm out of here. Is that enough? It, like, can he rehabilitate himself in any way? Or has he basically written the last chapter of his public story? And that's what this is. Well, he's he's done. He's made a critical error, Scott, in that he's made this process about himself. There is a, a window here for him to uh, do this review. I mean, a lot of people would say he shouldn't have taken this job in the first place, um, but he did. So he could have done this review, put the ball back firmly in the government's court to have public inquiry, 
and moved along, which is what a lot of people suspected. Now he's made the story about himself. Um, you know, we're supposed to not look, see the information that he saw, but we are supposed to trust him. And he's going to be the one that holds hearings into the matter, um, public hearings, but not as far as a public inquiry. And it can only be forward-looking as opposed to examining things that have happened in the past. So he's made this process about him. And so it's it's his own fault for kind of the, the backlash that he's facing now. Um, he doesn't see the issues that kind of normal Canadians see with his ties to the Trudeau family and the Trudeau Foundation as being problematic at all. And I think when you swim in elite circles, as Mr. Johnson has, credentials aside and, and being a good person aside, um, you're a little less prone to see uh, those conflicts when they when they arise. And I think that that's what's happened here. He's managed to make this about himself. And now he's facing major reputational risk if he wants to continue to kind of put himself in the spotlight rather than keep the issue and the government Front and center. Okay, what well, we got a couple of minutes left here. What happens? And I don't, I don't expect this, but what would, what would be the the read of everything if David Johnson suddenly announced that he has done what he's do, he's going to do, and he's going to step aside and let someone else have the public hearings? Would that be interpreted by people as saying he knows more and more is coming out, and therefore he wants to get out, or would it simply be I've done what I need to do, and you know I can pass the ball now to someone else? Yeah, I think until um, there's a formal public inquiry that the government has has you know acquiesced and, and relented and says that they they can um, facilitate, I think that that is going to be the only thing that really gets the monkey off the back. And even then, that's going to be a month long process, maybe longer. There's so many moving parts to this, Scott. There's like the there's the national security and Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians. They're doing their own study, supposed to be making recommendations. There's the Foreign Register that's supposed to be in place. Um, As far as Johnson's recommendations, I think that absent an inquiry or something more formal that the government has agreed to, this is going to be an albatross around the neck of of the Liberals for some time. I don't think changing the minister is going to necessarily help. Um, I think it's going to take the inquiry in order to quell a lot of critics um, and they seem to be content to let this be a slow bleed um, and try and avoid that at all costs. So all right, there's Kate. risk in that. All right. Last thing, we've got to let you, let you go. But last thing on this one then, it, we have seen endless times over the eight years that Justin Trudeau has been prime minister, something come up that you would think would be kind of devastating. And then the polls, you know, mm-hmm. come out a week later and doesn't really have any impact. Uh, do we expect, I haven't seen any real polls recently that show what is going on with this, but do you really think that this is going to be the thing that causes Justin Trudeau real problems? Or is it going to be like all the others where it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, yeah. I, unfortunately, I don't think this is going to be the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. Um, what I think is more of the challenge right now, Scott, is the government has been completely unable to get their own message out. The only thing we've been talking about in federal politics for roughly the last two months has been foreign interference stories. Um, that means we're not talking about the budget uh, or child care or pharmacare or any of the things that the government wants to be talking about. That is going to be the challenge for the Trudeau government uh, moving forward. How do they move beyond the foreign interference story? The answer is that they solve for it, call a public inquiry, move along while that happens. But they don't seem to be taking that bait. And it's a fair question as to why they've been so reluctant to do this. 
That is Kate Harrison. She is with uh, Summer Strategies, uh, one of our favorites here on the show. Kate, always appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. Thanks. Take care. Have a good night. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.